Brian, come on up. Brian Jerry is going to be preaching for us this morning, and I'm sure going to say some cutting remark. <laughs> what do you mean, Tess? Yes. So, what do you mean? Brian uh, is a good friend and is one of our uh, many seminary students that uh, attend our church. He's a seminary student at Phoenix Seminary and graduating in December, so it won't be long. So you can be praying for him as he, yeah. as he finishes up. Yeah, that's right. Especially so, my family. Yes. So lead us <laughs> Thank today. You, Tad. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, no cutting remarks. Tad, you're here. You're, you're faithfully here on a holiday weekend. Somebody's not. Um, yeah. I joke on these guys because I love them. And I, that sounds kind of weird, but um, I'm, I'm pretty weird. So, um, you know, you, <laughs> hey, hey. Hey, that's my neighbor over there. What are you? All right. If your house is rolled, I don't know what happened. So, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so random. Uh, but I love being a part of this church. I love this opportunity to be in front of you to talk about God's word and, and to talk about what he might have for us today. And sorry, he texted me this morning. I love that guy so much and praying for you and grateful for you. And just what a great friend and what a great pastor. Even as he's enjoying time away, he's still thoughtful about us and here in this moment and asking for God to move. And um, so I'm just glad that he had opportunity to rest. Tad had opportunity to rest, he and his family. And your pastors need that. So I'm so grateful that they had that. Um, but in that mindset, we kind of began our service with, and maybe you don't realize this, but there's thought that goes into a, a service, um, particularly trying to prepare our hearts to receive from the Lord, because we believe that the Spirit is here. We believe that God can radically alter and change us. Matter of fact, that's kind of our hope. Without it, we're kind of doomed, right? But because the Lord has set up through God the Spirit to radically change us, and we've been talking about that, we're going to do that more, so much of our time together is preparation. And so in light of that, we'll be at John 16 if you want to go ahead and turn there and get prepared. But in light of that, what I want to do with our time together is I want to read a prayer to you just once again, trying to prepare our hearts specifically for the Spirit to move us. Because our text today is once again focused on the Helper. The help for spirit, particularly in guiding us in all truth. So, uh, we'll read a prayer from this little uh, book here called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions that, matter of fact, in the back you can get. Um, whether your opinion on those guys, those Puritans, they had a deep longing for God to move. And so what I'd like for us to hear in this prayer is an expectation for God to move. Foster, I think, in his book calls it a holy ex expectation. And I don't know how you come to the Word, I don't know how you come to this morning, but I'm going to kind of beg you and push you towards that this morning. That we might expect and long and desire for God to move. Because oftentimes our, our desires are too weak, as, as Lewis would say, right? And so whether you need to close your eyes or just kind of sit and reflect, I want you to hear these words as our desires this morning. Oh Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, the ocean full of water, heaven full of glory, so may my heart be full of you. Vain are all divine purposes of love and the redemption wrought by Jesus, except you work within, regenerating by your power, giving me eyes to see Jesus. Showing me the realities of the unseen world. Give me yourself without measure. As an unimpaired fountain, as an inexhaustible riches. I regret deeply my coldness, poverty, emptiness, imperfect vision, weak service, prayerless prayers, praiseless praises. Suffer me not to grieve or resist you. Come as power. To expel every rebel lust. To reign supreme and keep me yours. Come as teacher. Leading me into all truth. Filling me with all understanding. Come as love that I may adore the Father. And love him as my awe. Come as joy. To dwell in me. Move in me. Animate me. Come as light illuminating the scriptures, molding me in its laws. Come as sanctifier, body, 
soul and spirit wholly yours. Come as helper with strength to bless and keep directing my every step. Come as beautifier, bringing order out of confusion, loveliness out of chaos. Magnify to me your glory by being magnified in me and make me rich and sweet-smelling of your fragrance. Father God, may this be our prayer this morning. We come as flawed, humble worshipers, eager to hear from you. May you change us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever listened to someone and just wanted to unload on them? Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> you know, you sit there, you listen, and they're just going through their logic, and they're just going, going, going. They're so animated, and you're just like, oh, I just want to explode, and I want to unload, and maybe to just kind of expose their faulty thinking, right? Embarrass them for their stupidity. You ever felt that way? Yeah, we're all tracking. We've been there, right? And maybe over the last couple weeks, you've really felt a sense of that, right? And we live in a unique age, right? In the world of social media, where filters that often keep us from being, you know, the arrogant, wise sage who has a corner on right thinking, those filters kind of go away, don't they? So we lash out with unfiltered anger, frustration, and in the end, nothing changes. Isn't that interesting? Because if indeed our heart and our desires is to see things change, to see hearts move towards God, oftentimes when we respond this way, nothing changes. Your words, they landed, sure enough, they were read, but the heart was not moved. I think we have a tendency to think our words do the work in men's hearts to produce right understanding. Perhaps we confuse our role as messenger for the role of Messiah, Savior, all-knowing one, the one who has it all together. See, no amount of crafty rhetoric or behavioral modification changes a man's heart. No amount of protest saved a man or a human spiritually. This is not within our abilities. These things, whether it be our rhetoric, our speech, behavioral modification, whatever, these things are merely means by which a broken heart must see and meet the one who can change them. Jesus. To meet and see and savor Christ in these things. See, our words, or anyone's words for that matter, can only produce true heart change if they point towards the one who can change them and who has changed us. But see, there's another arm to this dilemma, isn't there? Because you and I, we don't receive well critique from others, do we? I actually had to walk through this just a couple weeks ago and I'm like, this is painful. And we don't receive that well, right? Their words are like daggers, piercing our ego, calling into question our thinking. How dare you, sir, call into question my thinking, right? So we hear those words. They're offensive and they're hurtful. But what about those times that those words, yeah, they pierce their ego. They actually reveal some wrong thinking. And we actually listen particularly in regards to spiritual things. What about those moments, right? Because if I actually changed and it actually did something in me, I want to think about those moments. How do I live in those moments? How do I receive that? How does that penetrate my heart? What is going on there? How is it that those words, they didn't come off as mean and destructive, but rather helpful? And in the end, initiated change. Now, I'm sure we could, we could give a million factors this morning that could say, well, that's why I heard it a little bit differently. But I want us, and in, in accordance with our text this morning, 
We're going to read through John 16, verses 4 through 15, to try to answer that question. How does true heart change? Notice I said true. How does true change change a man's heart? So we're going to read, and as I read, we'll stop along the way, make a few statements uh, as we read. But I'll park a while in verses 8 through 11. So kind of help us to grapple with this, because we have a large group of texts. Sometimes it's good to kind of divide this thing up to look at it. Well, these 12 verses probably can kind of go into three major sections. Here's how I want you to think. And this will help us, I think, to grapple with it a little bit better, and ultimately to see Jesus' love for the disciples, and in turn, kind of see his love and his affection for us. So the first section, kind of verses 4 through 7, is Jesus once again states that he really must go. All right? So that first little section, he's reminding them, I really must go. Baby, it's cold out. No, he didn't say that afterwards. I didn't even feel I was thinking that. I'm pretty random, but I really must go. He kind of comes back. We'll look at that. The secondly... Jesus comes back to the helper. If you were here a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to teach uh, back in John 14. He introduces the helper as encouragement. I don't know if you remember that, but they're pretty bummed that he's leaving. They're kind of not responding well to his departure as well as we all would not respond well. So in the, uh, in the immediate moment to encourage them, he said the helper's coming. So here we're going to revisit this ideal, this reality that the helper is going to come. And this is going to provide encouragement again for his departure. Primarily, the, this section will be focused on the helper's work in the world. Maybe we could say non-believers, those who uh, are not quite sure about Jesus or care about him. Verses 8 through 11. And then lastly, Jesus will offer a few final statements about the helper, but this time in regards to his work for us, particularly for believers. Verses 12 through 15. So if you're like me and you like a road map and kind of like to know where we're headed, that's what we're going to do today, okay? So let's start in verse 4. And if you've ever wondered when, when you see a, a reference that says uh, 4B, you see that? It just basically means the second half of the verse, that we're not going to start at the beginning. So I went to seminary to figure all that out, so I paid all that money. There you go. You got it for free. B means at the end of it, all right? If there's a C, ooh, now we're really dividing things up, aren't we? Oh, four, and you get to D, ooh, my mind's blown. Uh, so B just indicates we're starting in the middle of a text here because originally th this text didn't have verse numbers. That was added later. And sometimes those verse numbers kind of got jumped in, maybe not at a good dividing point. But nonetheless, that's where we're starting. B, 4B, all right? So Jesus says, I did not say these things. And we, we have taken a tremendous amount of time over the last few weeks to talk about what he has been saying. So he's referring back. And this is a big holistic statement. Everything. I, I'm incorporating everything that I've been saying here, uh, particularly what we've been looking at the last few weeks. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Well, just simply because Jesus was with them. There was little need to begin causing, as we're going to see in a few moments, grief and anxiety. That's all he's saying. I didn't start out with this. I didn't kind of run out of the gate with, hey, I'm going to be leaving soon. Because <laughs> they would have been like, oh, I'm out. What is this, right? He says, out of care and concern for you from the beginning, I was with you. And so I, I didn't need or feel compelled to do that to cause unneeded anxiety and grief because you guys are freaking out right now. <laughs> And so that's kind of what he's getting at. So let's move on. But now I am going to him who sent me. She's reminding them, I'm going to depart. It is real. It is truthful. This is like the 900th time he said it. I am going. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Let's stop there for a moment. Because any astute reader of John, and especially if you've been here the last few weeks, you're perhaps a little confused by this statement, right? And you rightly, you should. Because back in chapter 13, verse 36, Peter kind of asked that question. And then Thomas in chapter 14, verse 3, we actually talked about it a few weeks ago. He seems to ask that very question. But Jesus says, none of you ask, where am I going? Did you, did you bump your head along the way? Like, did you forget that they asked? Well, here's a few ways to look at that statement. One, maybe Jesus is saying you're not presently asking. And 
that, that might could be a reason. We see the word now, but I think now is more about him going, not necessarily about asking. But he kind of seems to mean presently you're not asking me. Or secondly, which I think is probably more uh, kind of hitting at what we see here. So I think Jesus is revealing their intent in the question they originally asked. Because if they had really been asking about destination, where are you going? I really want to know the destination. Where are you? They would have heard over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they would have comprehended after a while that Jesus was going to the Father. And in that thinking, there probably should have been rejoicing, but rather there's grief, as we're going to see in a few moments. So really, they're only merely expressing their disapproval, not really concerned about where he's going. And in turn, that's causing them to focus on not him, but rather their frustration and their disapproval. So one commentator kind of put it this way, kind of like a little boy who's disappointed that his father has suddenly been called away for an emergency. When both the dad and the boy expected to go fishing, and he says to his dad, Dad, where are you going? But he cares very little about the destination, right? But rather, he is expressing his protest. Dad, don't go. Don't go, don't go. See, they've not been asking thoughtful questions to gain an understanding of what this means to them. So I think Jesus has not uh, had a, a um, well, I don't think I can say that here, uh, a brain, you know, mishap. <laughs> That's a better word. Most of you are already tracking where I was going with that, right? <laughs> yeah. He's not just all of a sudden being uh, absent-minded. I think Jesus is doing a little bit of a heart work here. None of you are really asking about what I'm, what I'm saying. You're not deeply concerned about what's happening here. You're almost a little too focused on your frustration, your protest, my disapproval. Once again, maybe just highlighting, preparing their heart to hear the truth, right? So verse 7. Or actually, let's go back to verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Let's stop there. Well, what has he said? Namely, it's because of his departure. See, they have, and they are presently feeling grief over Jesus' departure. It is still very fresh wound, though we have been covering the same thing our entire summer. In all these chapters, it still hurts. It is still very difficult for them to comprehend what Jesus is doing, and the thought of him not being around is too tough to bear. And this sense of grief is from the first time you heard it, and because of that one event, you still down here are feeling grief. So somewhere along the way, you've not heard where I'm really going. And so you're filled with sorrow and grief. What he has said, namely his departure, has affected them even now. So we have here yet another time of encouragement. He's doing a little bit of heart work, bringing them along a little by little. You've had this grief from day one. It's still here. And because I love you and I care about you, verse 7 Nevertheless, right, even though that's how you feel, I'm not going to hound you for that. I'm not going to call you stupid or call you out or get on Facebook and put a really nasty post or tweet. Like, nevertheless, that's how you feel. There's some fault in that thinking, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's probably the truth, <laughs> just, just so you know. Um, you know, my dad, I tell you the truth. Like, yeah, okay, you're pretty truthful, but, you know, sometimes. Or our kids, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, right. I, but Jesus, Jesus is saying this. Do you understand? Jesus, who says, I am the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Hear these words. I'm going to the Father, but here's something else. It is to your advantage that I go away. <laughs> like, mm -mm. Advantage? Like, how? Like, <laughs> advantage? For if I do not go away, the helper 
the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. That must have sounded a little bit weird. I know you have grief and this is a sorrowful moment, but it's to your advantage. And they're like, not for my thinking, it's not to my advantage. We have committed ourselves to you. We have followed you. And now you're, you're departing. You're going away. And you're going to sit there and have the audacity to say it's to my advantage? No, sir. And now I don't, it, the text doesn't say they say that, but that would be my protest. No. To your advantage. What? Advantage. A very strong word, right? What a way to turn the situation upside down, right? <laughs> this is good for you. This is good for you. Well, how is this to their advantage? Well, let's continue uh, to read and see, which brings us to kind of that second section that I mentioned about how this section where Jesus unfolds the helper's work in the world. So that's funny, it's to your advantage because here's what the helper's going to do in the world. Does that stimulate your thinking a little bit going, well, uh, once again, you're not thinking about me. It's to your advantage and I'm going to immediately, now I'm going to move off of you for a second and say, here's why it's to your advantage because the helper is going to do something in the world around you. And in regards to last week, where Chuck talked about suffering, it's like, what's you just told me I'm going to suffer. Now you're going to tell me that the helper is going to do something for them? Forget them. <laughs> they might be the reason that I suffer. And so Jesus says it's to their advantage. And I would think at this point their ears are going, okay. Okay. Because okay. I don't feel this as very uh, advantage for me. So how is this? Well, verse 8. And when he comes, and he is clearly referring back to helper, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now I'm going to go ahead and read 9, 10, and 11. Concerning, there's now clarity, concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will not see me no longer. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So here he says, it's to your advantage because I need to send the helper. And how is it specifically to their advantage? Because the helper is going to convict the world. And, and convict does have a strong connotation to indicate that you're wrong in these particular things. All right. So that's how we're to see the word convict. So the helper is going to come convict the world concerning its sin, its righteousness, and its judgment. What does that mean? Well, let's take this a little bit at a time here. So verse 9. So verse 8 lays it out for us. It's going to convict us of these three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. In verse 9 and 10 and 11 give us more clarity concerning sin. Well, why? Because they do not believe in me. So the helper is going to do something to convict so that they'll understand that I am truthful. You see, their unbelief about all that Jesus has said and their unwillingness to accept and surrender to him is going to be revealed. And they're going to be convicted on that to be as clear as possible that your unbelief is not warranted. So there's yet more work, right? Concerning righteousness. Because, why? Why righteousness? Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. I wrestled a tad bit with this this week, right? Because righteousness feels like an appropriate term. But you're telling me that the helper is going to come to the world and it's going to reveal to them and convict the negative term of righteousness. Well, I think what we can see here is there a sense in this word righteousness and their righteousness is a working of their way to God through adhering to certain regulations or rules or being super faithful to all this. I also think that Jesus, being a good Jew, a good reader of the Old Testament, is reminding them of something that Isaiah said. Listen to this. We all have become like one who's unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like, and this is a good way of putting it, polluted garment. <laughs> 
So maybe he's trying to stir up in them, and maybe the helper is going to reveal these words of Isaiah that they all would have read so many times to say, this is you, you and of yourself. You can't do it. You're striving, your efforts, your righteous deeds will fall short. Probably healthy for the world to hear that, right? See, Jesus has been the ultimate example of how to live, of how to obtain righteousness. And now the Spirit, because he says, why is he going to convict the righteous? Because I'm going to go away. I'm no longer going to be here. So the helper is going to come in and continue that work of revealing the truth path towards God, which is through Jesus. You see, one doesn't overcome the other. Jesus is saying, as I go, the Spirit's going to come and continue that work in the world. It's because Jesus has been this ultimate example of righteousness. There's something about him that is truthful. There's something about him and his work that the Spirit will pick up and continue to really make it clear that it's through Jesus. Well, lastly... Convict the world of judgment. Hmm. Of its judgment. I couldn't help but think of John chapter 7, verse 24. Hear this. Jesus said this. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's something about this conviction that's going to let them know that their assessment on how things are is wrong. <laughs> Maybe the puffed up arrogantness, I've got this thing figured out. I know exactly what to believe and what not to believe. It's like your assumptions are wrong. These are wrong judgments, which, interestingly enough, will be clearly seen in their treatment of Jesus, right? Their judgment of him. They use wrong criteria. They never consider Jesus as the ultimate criteria for judgment, the ultimate example of what to look at and how to live. And so I can already tell most of you are going, all right, this is boring, right? Okay, good. Some of you are all right with that. Because like, why are we taking this extra time to pick it apart? Because I want to, what does this mean for us, okay? The helper is going to convict the world of its sin, its righteousness, its judgment. What does this mean to us? I have about four or five statements that I just want to land. God, through the work of the helper in the hearts of men, is far better at conviction than you. That is a holistic and a powerful work in a man's heart. God, through the work of the helper in the hearts of men, is far better at conviction than you. And this is good news, church. And this would have been good news for them as they prepared for suffering and opposition. Have you ever thought someone's a lost cause? Maybe most of your family members. <laughs> When someone is in opposition to you, you just want to unload on them, right? I, I hope that these things come back to stir us and say, no, the good news is that there is hope for you because God through the Spirit, God the Spirit, convinced the world of sin, judgment, and its righteousness. It is in the work of God through the Spirit which is effective. As they prepare for suffering and opposition, their confidence, our confidence, is in the work of the Spirit. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that encouraging that there actually is something more powerful than you and your words that can change the hearts of men? Oh, how it is to our advantage and how Jesus is yet once again looking after. I can remember as a teenager, scared to 
death to share the gospel because I was so afraid I screwed up. Right? I'm going to say the right thing and get the wrong question and I'm not going to say it right. I just had all this anxiety because it's somewhere along the way I thought their salvation was dependent upon how well I articulated. I'm not giving you an excuse to not articulate it well, okay? This is not grounds to say, oh, just say whatever, like peanuts and it'll work. No. We'll get there. But it, that is a burden that you should not bear. And in times of opposition, in times of what's going on, there's our hope. The groundwork for any conversation is on my knees, immersed into this text, particularly John 16, 8, all the way through 11, begging the Spirit to move on the heart. Pleading, begging, and I mean beg. As, as if you've got nothing else, beg that the Spirit would work. Because he's good at it. He's really good at it. Our greatest hope lies in the work of God through the Spirit, not the sting of our posts or tweets. Our greatest hope lies in the work of God through the Spirit, not the sting of our posts or our tweets. Now, do we shut up and be silent? No. But our hope is not in our words, but in the work of the Spirit. One scholar who's my favorite person to read at times, A.W. Tozer, he said it this way. This is beautiful. If you have to be reasoned into Christianity, some wise fellow can, come, can reason you out of it. Read that again. If you have to be reasoned into Christianity, some wise fellow can reason you out of it. If you come to Christ by a flash of the Holy Ghost, so that by intuition, you know that you are God's child, you know it by the text, but you also know it by the inner light, the inner illumination of the Spirit, no one can ever reason you out of it. Amen to that. Because moments of crisis for me crisis of belief, I come back to that. No wise fellow reasoned me into it. But the Spirit worked and drew me to himself. Even if I don't get it, I always assume the problem is here. Not here. Because of this truth. Because he worked in me. He convinced me of these things because nobody else could. Because I question almost anything anybody says to me. But his work is effective. See, the gospel is pretty offensive enough. You're wrong. If you continue down your path, you're doomed for hell. That, that's, that's pretty offensive. That's, that's pretty crazy. Your ego, your ability to do a lot of great things, not enough. Your intelligence, not enough. You're the greatest dad in the whole wide world, not enough. You're super mom, and everything's wonderful, not enough, right? Something about that that already pierces the ego and starts to question our thinking, and so we do not need to add any more hateful speech. It's pretty offensive as it is. Like Chuck reminded us last week, right? 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because we, we've been convinced of it. In and of ourselves, we are dead. <laughs> but the Helper came and helped us, pulled us out of our wrong thinking, revealed to us what was sinful and our path and our judgments and our righteous living and revealed to us that there's a better way. Revealed to us and, and brought to light Jesus. You may be thinking, well, what does this look like, right? It still seems abstract and up here, right? Well, the best commentary that I can think of on this exact point, 1 Corinthians 2, all right? I'm going to read this to you. You just listen, okay? Because this is, oh, hey. Um, now you know our tricks. We mark our Bible. You think we have it memorized. 
The, the best commentary, chapter 2 of Corinthians, just listen to this. In light of what we've been talking about, okay, here's Paul, the great evangelist, the great follower of Christ, who is far better at articulating things than you will ever be. A very good speaker, rhetoric. He was great at it. Here's what he says. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Huh. What well, if Paul, if anyone could do that, and you would say it makes sense, you'd say Paul could do that. Go for it, Paul, because you're a smart dude. And you can, you can bring it. He says, but I didn't come to you with that. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he was bound by something, right? Not great speech. But Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. Really, Paul? Because when I hear you talking to people, it doesn't seem like you have much fear. Weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Because he understood this truth and he longed for it to happen in the hearts of men. And so what did he do? He was bound by the message of Christ. He spoke because he, the Spirit, works. His speaking, his message was driven because the Spirit works. There was a reliance upon the Spirit's power and the abilities to convict hearts. But he was bound, right? He didn't just go say peanuts and say, okay, Spirit, do your thing. You know, peanuts, oh, repent. You know, like, it didn't say that. But he was bound by the text. He was bound by the message of Jesus when it came to the transformation of hearts. Just like we opened our service, what a beautiful verse. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11, let me read this to you again. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, growth, maturity, development, right? Giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater. He says all that beautiful imagery to set up this. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is the power to change hearts. God's words illuminated by the Spirit, piercing hearts in the world. And as we're going to find out, the following verses, even here in John, remind us that the Spirit only says what he has heard from Jesus. So once again, once again, the Word. All Jesus has said is comfort, power, conviction, and conversion salvation for men. The simplest way I know how to put it. If you wanted to hang your hat on something this morning, the simplest, well you do it on the text, but the simplest statement I can make it. Our greatest effort to see the world changed is not through man the messenger, but God the Spirit. Be a messenger, not a Messiah. You don't shut up you just shut your own words up and you speak God and you speak the truth of the text of the message of Jesus because the power, the Spirit seems to work in those words to pierce hearts. Our greatest effort to see the world change is not through man the messenger but through the Spirit. Be a messenger, not a Messiah. So now that Jesus has established the work of the helper in the world, he's taken great lengths, great time to encourage them, hey, don't be fearful of the world. Don't worry about the opposition because the helper is going to come to see their hearts changed. Be encouraged. He now reminds us of his work in believers. So verse 12 through 15, let me read this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. How much love is communicated in that, right? So much more I want to tell you. But you can't bear it. You can't bear it right now. So much love communicated. Jesus knows there's more to understand, but he does not want to overwhelm them. 
Jesus has this crazy affection for believers and provides and takes care of them. And I love that. I just love that statement. There's so much we need to know. We can't bear it now. Well, oh, that's the worst, right? And my preaching professor was here. He would say, bad mistake. All right, so verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. Everything is, is, is exaltation of Jesus and what he has said. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. This is, if, if you want a good Trinitarian passage, like these, this is it right here. There is such this holistic work of God in the life of a believer. It's unbelievable. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Still more to know. I love you, but you can't bear it. But the helper, he's going to come. The helper is going to come, and he's going to guide you in all truth. See, the helper in the life of the believer we call the Holy Spirit for us is what? Is to guide us in all truth, to bring what Jesus said into full understanding. You think they fully comprehend all that Jesus has declared to them? Absolutely not. But the Spirit, the helper, the work of God in our lives doesn't end at the moment of salvation. Good luck. You're redeemed now. That was a pretty tough job, but you go now. All right? It's like, no, you're redeemed, and I'm going to walk with you the whole entire way. God the Spirit is going to continue to reveal and give us full understanding. What's interesting about this particular text is there's been a model set, right? From Jesus and now the Spirit to speak the words of the Father. That's been the model that we've seen time and time again. They only speak the Father's word. Our greatest need to see repentance is to know and speak the Father's word. To know and speak the Father's word. But maybe you're thinking... How is that? You, you say that the Spirit's going to come, and I'm going to read the Scriptures, and it's going to be this glorious moment. Oh, you know, and it's like, that's what we think of, and you're going, that's not my experience, right? I want to know the Father's words, and I want to speak them. Well, how did the Spirit do it? Well, He's going to guide us in the truth, but what else did He do? He spoke what He heard from Jesus. And we have the luxury of having exactly what He said. So we must do, as John 15 suggested, and abide. You're thinking, well, what does abide mean? Here's another churchy word. Well, put ourselves in a position for God to pour himself into us. I just don't know any other way to put it, but to, to put yourself into a position for God to just pour himself into you. Personally, for me, oftentimes I, I, I hear, oh, you're so passionate, and Oh, I wish I had that passion. It's like, well, it's part of my personality. I'm a pretty lively person. Um, the scriptures energize me. I legitimately cannot stop thinking about it. I, I, I can't. Oftentimes, it's because I don't understand it. <laughs> so I just constantly go, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Oftentimes, I'm not there yet with the text is teaching me. So I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to get there. But I, 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 I eat it as if it's a meal. I want to I I chew it. Like sometimes a word, a statement, I just I chew and I chew and I chew and I chew oftentimes because of my inabilities, but dependent upon the Spirit to God. And maybe just simply put, just read it. Read it over and over and over and over and over again. And you know, it really for me, John chapter 15 and, and this understanding of the Spirit has freed me to come to the text with an eager expectation. Because all of a sudden, I've got a helper. I've got someone that can overcome my inabilities to understand and help me to chew on the truth and to apply it to my life. When that realization came, I actually wanted to read the Word, right? Because it wasn't about whether I could or could not understand it, but it was about the work of the Spirit in my heart. But I'm sure I still, in your brain, hear objections. He never guides me. 
works for you, pastor. You have a unique relationship with the Lord. No, I don't. It's flawed and weak just as yours. We hear that a bunch, but it's not my experience. Well, just as I want to end as practically, I think, as I've ever ended a message. Because if this is a helper in our lives, we need to be engaging it, right? So practically, how is that played out? Well, here's just a simple how, okay? As simple as I can make it. One, the posture of your heart. Okay? That's a deep consideration where you're saying, well, yeah, you got me all true, but I read it all the time. He don't tell me nothing. <laughs> okay. You're really open to receive from him, aren't you, you know? Your posture of heart is significant, and we've tried to demonstrate that this morning. From the moment that we started, 1045, preparation, preparation, get your heart ready, right? We sang songs that, that lifted our thoughts to the Lord. Let's think and consider him. Let's ask him to move. Before we dove into the text, we, wrote, we read a, a prayer that was very driven with desire, right? Holy expectation and eagerness to hear from the Lord. And if you read that day and it feels stale and dry, that was the Lord's decision in that moment. But if you go with the posture of heart that's correct, good. As simple as I can put it, limit distractions. Just limit the distractions that you have. We have a two-year-old and a four-year-old in my house. It's almost impossible to limit distractions. We talk about, my wife and I talk about this all the time. I'm so drained at the end of the night. And when I wake up, they're right there in your face. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, I've got like this amount of time to read the text, right? I, I, if this is true, isn't that deep motivation to figure it out? Isn't that deep motivation to say, you know what? The Spirit wants to move in me. But there's something about he's only going to tell me the words of Jesus. So if I read them, he can certainly. And what we call this in, in a real you know, seminary world, illumination. The work of the Spirit to illuminate the Scriptures. And maybe just a few questions to think about as you read the text. Ultimately, you got to read it, right? You got to read it. That's a good first step. Just simply read it. Read through the text thoughtfully. Repeatedly, 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 <laughs> repeatedly. Just re read it. Read it patiently. And it's like, live the world hates you. Like, no, if the world hates you, know that's hated me before it hated you. Huh. Well, that's good. <laughs> right? And once again, read it prayerfully, right? So I know in, uh, there's some books, and Tad, correct me if I'm wrong, one-to-one uh, -one Bible reading that has these questions, and I'm just going to kind of tell you right now, but that's a great book to look at, to think through of how to read the text. But just some questions to think as you read. What's the main idea of the passage? I, I'm, we're getting crazy practical here, like kind of holding your hand for a moment. Not to insult your intelligence, but I just wonder if sometimes we shy away from it just because we don't know what to do with it. But the Spirit is there waiting to change us. What's the main point? What's the main idea? Does the passage tell me anything about God particularly? Like those last few verses, there is such a clear picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. How do we come up with that? Because it's texts like that. But there's the, the, there's these, this... Trinitarian view of God that's like, whoa, right? Thoughts of God can so expand the thinking more than anything. Does the passage give me any commands to follow or promises to cling to? We have some pretty cool promises here, right? When the helper comes, and he's here because Jesus, it, it came about what he said. So he's here. That's a promise that he'll guide us in all truth. That's a promise, church, that we can cling to and say, all right, I'll cue on that. Does the passage contain a sin I need to confess or temptation to watch out for? Since he's worried about our heart, he's always going to do that work. 
Do I need to adjust anything in my life based on this passage? Maybe particularly for our text here, I need to create some space and time to just read the text. That would be a very practical thing that we say, how do I adjust that? You know what? I have made the time, but boy, I've went in maybe with a little bit of arrogance. Look at me. I woke up early. God's going to reward me because I got up early, you know. know, He's grateful for that. But don't come with that. Come with a posture of heart that says, I want the Spirit to change me. What one truth should I carry with me throughout this day from this passage? Multiple ones for you. I've been praying leading up to this week that there would be some specific things that would stand out from the text for you personally. That, that he takes Jesus' words and gives you full understanding. What do I not understand from this passage? What is my plan to learn what it means? We're so fearful of questions, right? I can't tell you how many questions I write down. I'm, I, maybe I'm a good seminary student. Maybe I'm a bad one. But I'm constantly going, I don't understand. Could you explain that more? <laughs> uh, again, huh? Yeah, I did it again, right? I guarantee you, your pastors would love nothing more than to wake up Monday morning, head to the office, open up an email that has four or five questions. Hey, pastor, I read this text. Yeah! They're going to celebrate. The helper is much better at convicting the world. Be a messenger, not a messiah. And lastly, the helper will guide you in all truth. Cling to that this week. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for our time together. I trust and I pray because of the work of the Spirit, because of the truth of the text that you have worked. Uh, Lord, that the Spirit has taken something from our time together, particularly from the Bible, from the text, and illuminated in a way that's that's really making our hearts and our heads swim a little bit. Uh, Lord, that we may walk out and be changed people, cling to your scripture, cling to your text, and realize that our greatest hope to change our co-worker, to change the world around us as we feel like things are falling apart, is your work through the Spirit, not my words. So give us a great resolve to be a church of the word and messengers that will present your word. So it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.